Chapter Six of Seep Trails. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Bologna Times. Chapter Six, The City of the Saints, by John Muir. The mountains rise grandly round about this curious city, the Zion of the New Saints, so grandly that the city itself is hardly visible. The Wasatch Range, snow-laden and adorned with glacier-sculpted peaks, stretches continuously along the eastern horizon, forming the boundary of the Great Salt Lake Basin, while across the valley of the Jordan southwestward from here you behold the Aquir Range, about as snowy and lofty as the Wasatch. To the northwest your eye skims the blue levels of the Great Lake, out of the midst of which rise island mountains, and beyond, at a distance of fifty miles, is seen the picturesque wall of the lakeside mountains blending with the lake and the sky. The glacial developments of these superb ranges are sharply sculptured peaks and crests, and the ample wombs between them, where the ancient snows of the glacial period were collected and transformed into ice, and ranks of profound shadowy canyons, while moraines commensurate with the lofty fountains extend into the valleys, forming far the grandest series of glacial monuments I have yet seen this side of the Sierra. In the beginning, this letter, I meant to describe the city, but in the company of these noble old mountains it is not easy to bend one's attention upon anything else. Salt Lake cannot be called a very beautiful town, neither is there anything ugly or repulsive about it. From the slopes of the Wasatch foothills, or old lake benches, toward Fort Douglas, it is seen to occupy the sloping, gravelly delta of City Creek, a fine, hardy stream that comes pouring from the snows of the mountains through a majestic glacial canyon, and it is just where this stream comes forth into the light on the edge of the valley of the Jordan that the Mormons have built their new Jerusalem. At first sight there is nothing very marked in the external appearance of the town excepting its leafiness. Most of the houses are veiled with trees, as if set down in the midst of one grand orchard, and seen at a little distance they appear like a field of glacier boulders overgrown with aspens, such as one often meets in the upper valleys of the California Sierra, for only the angular roofs are clearly visible. Perhaps nineteen-twentieths of the houses are built of bluish-gray adobe bricks, and are only one or two stories high, forming fine cottage homes which promise simple comfort within. They are set well back from the street, leaving room for a flower garden, while almost every one has a thrifty orchard at the sides and around the back. The gardens are laid out with great simplicity, indicating love for flowers by people comparatively poor, rather than deliberate efforts of the rich for showy artistic effects. They are like the pet gardens of children, about as artless and humble and harmonize with the low dwellings to which they belong. In almost every one you find daisies and mint and lilac bushes and rows of plain English tulips. 
Lilacs and tulips are the most characteristic flowers, and nowhere have I seen them in greater perfection. As Oakland is preeminently a city of roses, so is this Mormon saint's rest a city of lilacs and tulips. The flowers, at least, are saintly, and they are surely loved. Scarce a home, however obscure, is without them, and the simple, unostatious manner in which they are planted and gathered in pots and boxes about the windows shows how truly they are prized. The surrounding commons, the marshy levels of the Jordan, and dry, gravelly lake benches on the slopes of the Wasatch foothills are now gay with wild flowers, chief among which are a species of phlox, with an abundance of rich pink corollas growing among sagebrush in showy tufts, and a beautiful papillonaceous plant with silky leaves and large clusters of purple flowers. Banner wings and keel, exquisitely shaded. A mertensia, hydrophyllum, white boragewort, orthocarpus, several species of violets, and a tall scarlet gilia. It is delightful to see how eagerly all these are sought after by the children, both boys and girls. Every day that I have gone botanizing I have met groups of little latter days with their precious bouquets, and at such times it was hard to believe the dark, bloody passages of Mormon history. But to return to the city. As soon as City Creek approaches its upper limit, its waters are drawn off right and left, and distributed in brisk rills, one on each side of every street, the regular slopes of the delta upon which the city is built being admirably adapted to the system of street irrigation. These streams were all pure and sparkling in the upper streets, but as they are used to some extent as sewers, they soon manifest the consequence of contact with civilization, though the speed of their flow prevents their becoming offensive, and little saints not over-particular may be seen drinking from them everywhere. The streets are remarkably wide, and the buildings low, making them appear yet wider when they really are. Trees are planted along the sidewalks, elms, poplars, maples, and a few catalpas and hawthorns yet they are mostly small and irregular, and nowhere form avenues half so leafy and imposing as one would be led to expect. Even in the business streets there is but little regularity in the buildings. Now a row of plain adobe structures, half store, half dwelling, then a high mercantile block of red brick or sandstone, and again a row of adobe cottages nestled back among apple-trees. There is one immense store with its sign upon the roof, and letters big enough to be read miles away. Z-C-M-I, Zion's Cooperative Mercantile Institution. While many a small, codfishy corner grocery bears the legend, Holiness to the Lord, Z-C-M-I. But little evidence will you find in this Zion, with its fifteen thousand souls, of great wealth, though many a saint is seeking it as keenly as any Yankee Gentile. But, on the other hand, searching throughout all the city, you will not find any trace of squalor or extreme poverty. 
most of the women I have chanced to meet, especially those from the country, have a weary, repressed look, as if, for the sake of their religion, they were patiently carrying burdens heavier than they were well able to bear. But, strange as it must seem to Gentiles, the many wives of one man, instead of being repelled from one another by jealousy, appear to be drawn all the closer together, as if the real marriage existed between the wives only. Groups of half a dozen or so may frequently be seen on the streets in close conversation, looking as innocent and unspeculative as a lot of heifers, while the masculine saints pass them by as if they belonged to a distinct species. In the tabernacle last Sunday, one of the elders of the church, in discoursing upon the good things of life, the possessions of Latter-day Saints, enumerated fruitful fields, horses, cows, wives, and implements, the wives being placed as above, between the cows and implements, without receiving any superior emphasis. Polygamy, as far as I have observed, exerts a more degrading influence upon husbands than upon wives. The love of the latter finds expression in flowers and children, while the former seem to be rendered incapable of pure love of anything. The spirit of Mormonism is intensely exclusive and un-American. A more withdrawn, compact, sealed-up body of people could hardly be found on the face of the earth than is gathered here, notwithstanding railroads, telegraphs, and the penetrating lights that go sifting through society everywhere in this revolutionary, question-asking century. Most of the Mormons I have met seem to be in a state of perpetual apology, which can hardly be fully accounted for by Gentile attacks. At any rate, it is unspeakably offensive to any free man. We saints, they are continually saying, are not as bad as we are called. We don't murder those who differ with us, but rather treat them with all charity. You may go through our town night or day, and no harm shall befall you. Go into our houses, and you will be well used. We are as glad as you are that Lee was punished, etc., while taking a saunter the other evening, we were overtaken by a characteristic Mormon, an humble man, who made us a very deferential salute, and then walked on with us about half a mile. We discussed whatsoever of Mormon doctrines came to mind with American freedom, which he defended as best he could, speaking in an excited but deprecating tone. When hard-pressed, he would say, I don't understand these deep things, but the elders do. I am only an humble tradesman. In taking leave, he thanked us for the pleasure of our querulous conversation, removed his hat, and bowed lowly in a sort of Uriah Heap manner, and then went to his humble home. How many humble wives it contained, we did not learn. Fine specimens of manhood are by no means wanting, but the number of people one meets here, who have some physical defect or who attract one's attention by some mental peculiarity that manifests itself through the eyes, is astonishingly great in so small a city. It would evidently be unfair to attribute these defects to Mormonism, though Mormonism has undoubtedly been the magnet that elected and drew these strange people together from all parts of the world. 
but however the peculiar doctrines and peculiar practices of mormonism have affected the bodies and the minds of the old saints the little latter-day boys and girls are as happy and natural as possible running wild with plenty of good hearty parental indulgence playing fighting gathering flowers in delightful innocence and when we consider that most of the parents have been drawn from the thickly settled portion of the old world where they have long suffered the repression of hunger and hard toil the mormon children utah's best crop seem remarkably bright and promising from children one passes naturally into the blooming wilderness to the pure religion of sunshine and snow where all the good and the evil of this strange people lifts and vanishes from the mind like mist from the mountains end of chapter six